0: And I know you're all excited. I could see those of you that aren't wearing masks, you were smiling when you came in today because you received a newsletter on Friday which said that I was going to be talking about giving today. And you were just excited to be here. You were just trying to contain your enthusiasm. The talking about money in the church makes us a little uncomfortable. And I'm not sure why, because we talk about money everywhere else we go. We read books about money, we watch TV shows about money. But there's something about when the subject is addressed in the church when people just don't feel at ease. And their defenses go up and people get a little bit protective. And I'm not sure why. But if it makes you feel any better, Pastors really don't want to talk about money either. You might run into a church and maybe you've had that experience where that was all that the pastor talked about. But for the most part, studies say pastors would rather preach on the subject of hell than they would on giving. And then you start to look in the Bible and you see that there's a real challenge there because you read through the Gospels in the New Testament and a huge percentage of the teaching is on the subject of giving. It's on finances. There are 500 or so verses on the subject of prayer and faith, and around 2,000 verses on our money and our possessions. So then we also look at the fact that Jesus talked twice as much about giving as he did about heaven and hell. And if you read through the parables... 16 of the 38 parables actually address the subject of money and possessions. So if you're looking at percentages, you'd have to conclude, if anything, we don't talk about money enough. So look out, you get it for the next three weeks. So why is it so important? Because money, more than anything else in life, actually has the potential to become a God substitute for us. We can look To money to do things for us that God should be doing we look to money and possessions as a source of satisfaction we look to them as a source of security rather than to God and before we know it we're living for money and then money becomes this idol and then we sit it on the throne of our hearts and we bow down to worship it it replaces God but the Bible says that we can't serve both God and money So the subject is addressed consistently in the New Testament, and like I mentioned, we're going to spend some time over the next three weeks on this topic, because we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 25, which is called the parable of the talents. It's the longest parable that Jesus told, but in it, there are three parts. So today we're going to look at At how the master handed out his possessions his money his resources to his servants next week we're going to see how those servants use that money and then the third week we'll actually see how they were held accountable when the master returned so Matthew 25 beginning with verse 14 the kingdom of heaven is like a man who was going to another place for a visit before he left he called for his servants and told them to take care of his things while he was gone. He gave one servant five bags of gold, another servant two bags of gold, and a third servant one bag of gold, to each one as much as he could handle. Then he left. So this is a very wealthy man who is leaving, and we don't know where he's going to, we don't know how long he's staying, but we know that he entrusts his resources to his servants. And there's one simple word in here that we can't miss, and that's the word his, because this was his money. The master entrusted his wealth to them. So it shows possession, it establishes ownership, it's the man's wealth, and he's just entrusting this to his servants. Now we want to talk today About what is called the theology of ownership and we usually miss this because we focus typically a lot of the time on the practical principles of Scripture about here is where we should spend our money here is how we should save our money but it's all built on the foundation of this foundation of ownership and if we don't get this right then pretty well everything else in the Bible that we see about money is difficult for us to accept. But if you get this theology correct, then everything in the Bible makes sense. So ownership theology would be saying something very simple like, it doesn't belong to you, it all belongs to him. So that's your money, it's your possessions, it's everything you have in life, everything that you see, it doesn't belong to you, it all belongs to him. And when we approach... Our money and our possessions from this perspective that it all belongs to God then suddenly it's easier to handle money and those resources the way that God wants us to here are a few verses that demonstrate this theology so Deuteronomy 10 the Lord owns the world and everything in it the heavens even the highest heavens are his so that's everything Uh, Psalm 24 The earth belongs to the Lord and everything in it, the world and all its people. So it's not just the heavens and and the earth, but it's everybody in that world. And then in Job 41, these are the words of God. No one has ever given me anything that I must pay back because everything under the sky belongs to me. So it's all his. If we see money and possessions from that perspective, then everything belo- that everything belongs to God, then things become much easier to accept and understand. If that's true, that God has the right to tell us what to do with it, it is because it's his. And we can have the confidence that God will provide and take care of us and meet our needs as the Bible teaches but it all goes back to that core understanding that it all belongs to him. Now this is so hard for us to accept in our time because from the time we're born, we approach possessions as if they're ours. It's That's mine. I saw it when my granddaughter turned two years of age at her birthday party. She had a couple of friends there and I could see as she was opening her gifts She was crowding them around her, making sure people knew these are mine. But then you can see these other kids. They've bought this gift with their parent and helped wrap it maybe, but they're waiting for that toy to be opened so they can play with it. And they're just waiting to grab it, but as soon as they do, What does my granddaughter say? Mine, mine. At one time at my grandson's birthday party, this kid even grabbed the toy and ran off into another room. He wanted it so badly. But here you you have this angelic two-year-old girl. She might be just brushing the hair of her doll and you try and take that doll and all of a sudden she just unleashes a fury. Why? Because it belongs to me and we don't want to loosen our grip On our money and our possessions as we grow older, either. Our natural approach is to look at them and to say, It belongs to me, it's mine. So here's some evidence that we're confused about ownership theology. One bit of evidence is our refusal to actually lend to others. No one borrows any power tools from me, or nobody borrows any clothing from my wife because they know we don't want to. Now, this is just hypothetical. (laughs) You can use my power tools. Half of them are all over Halifax right now. But, But people don't borrow from you because they know you don't want to loan those things. They know that the TV is under your power, so they don't even ask to watch a different program. And then a second evidence is worrying about stuff also indicates you're confused on this ownership issue. If I'm driving along the road and I see an abandoned car, I think nothing of it. But then a couple of years ago, just before Christmas, a drunk driver ran into my car in my driveway and caused great damage to it. So all of a sudden... I have a much bigger interest because it's my possession it's my property that has been damaged here hoarding things that you don't need is another one just look at all the self-storage units that we see around the city and why do we have such a hard time of getting rid of stuff because it's mine and I finally get over this uh, a little bit when Our team went to Poland two years ago on a mission trip and we had a yard sale to raise some funds and my daughter convinced me to dig through the closets which had clothes that I was no longer wearing I said I'll keep them work clothes that type of thing cutting the grass dead so we put all these shirts up for sale a dollar each men were coming along with big smiles on their faces buying my shirts I realized I can make some money here. So my wife and I bought new bikes for the first time in our lives. So she had this 40-year-old vintage bike, a Raleigh, and we paid $75 for it 31 years ago, and I was going to hang on to it, just hang it up there uh, on the ceiling. And the girl said, no, Dad, sell it. I sold it for $95, $20 more than I paid for it. 31 years ago. So we're starting to get rid of some things. And then another evidence that we're confused about ownership theology is we're careless about money management. It's my money, so I'm going to do with it what I want. It, it, it's my stuff, and I'll spend it the way that I want to. So that's an indication that we're confused about who really owns it. And the fifth indicator is that I believe annoyance with this message is on the list. It it illustrates the fact that we're sensitive about who really owns it. So when we start to talk about money in the church, it's as if God's stepping on our turf. And we'll say, God, you can have this area of my life, and you can have that area of my life, but this is mine, this stuff's mine, and I'm holding on to it. So I have this next statement up here for you on the screen. The most important principle in managing your money is to understand that it's not yours at all, but that it all belongs to God. So if we get this ownership theology straight, then everything else will just kind of fall into place. But if you miss out on the fact that it all belongs to God, then it's going to be difficult for you to hear, to accept, and to live out the other things that the Bible says about money and finances. So when we understand that it all belongs to God, not us, there are some financial implications that are pretty obvious in this parable that we're looking at. So the first one is if everything belongs to God, then God as the owner has generally generously entrusted you with his resources. So you should be grateful. Since everything belongs to God, and it's all his, and what he gives to us is a blessing from him. In Ecclesiastes 5, Solomon wrote, people come into this world with nothing, and when they die, they leave with nothing. In spite of all their hard work, they leave just as they came. So we were born into this world with nothing, and if we're blessed, we'll live 80, 90 years, and leave this world with nothing so it's just yours for a while. It's a loner. God allows you to be entrusted with his resources. But what do people say? They say, hold on now. I earned this money. It's mine because I worked for it. Then I could say, okay, but who gave you the mind to earn the money that you make? Who gave you the physical strength? Who gave you the family that you grew up in? Who enabled you to have the education that you did? Everything we have in life is from God, and we should have this attitude of gratitude for whatever he allows us to use. We just constantly are to be aware of his generosity toward us. So that can be heard because we get caught up in what we don't have sometimes, and we struggle with ownership, theology, and, and then... If you do struggle with that sometimes try this when you wake up in the morning and you get out of say it's God's bed and then you go into God's bathroom and you use God's toilet and then you get into God's shower and you then you go downstairs to God's kitchen and you have God's breakfast which I hope is more than just a little bowl of cereal like too many have, but something healthy that's the main part of the day there need to be eggs in there and maybe some oatmeal and then you go to work, and you come home from work, and you get uh, uh, in. Well, you get into God's car, drive home from work, and you arrive at God's house. You turn on God's TV. You sit down on God's sofa, and you watch God's favorite hockey team, the Toronto Maple Leafs, play. <laughs> You're just going through the day and acknowledging that it all belongs to God. And that puts your heart in the right place so instead of focusing on what you don't have be appreciative for what you do have it all belongs to him then if everything belongs to God then God as owner is free to allocate his resources however he chooses so we need to be content and that's difficult for us because we get into a lot of financial trouble In the parable, one man receives five bags of gold, another one two bags, and the last one one bag. And the tendency for us is to read the story and say, hey now, that's not very fair. Why didn't they all get the same amount of money? But the thing we miss out on is that whether you receive one bag or five bags of gold, the master has been very generous. And it's hard for us to try and compute exactly how much money that would be in our world today. But we could imagine it's someone working at a minimum wage job, and they receive a bag of gold, this big bag of gold that's worth half a million dollars. So even the guy getting one bag was receiving something quite substantial. He was being treated very generously. But I bet the guy with the one bag... This is a hard work on my PEI accent because we say beg on PEI instead of beg. So the guy with the one bag, he's looking at the one with two and wishing that he had that many. Or the guy with two bags, he's looking at the guy with five and saying, well, why didn't the master give me five? And then the guy with the five, he's looking at the other two and he's thinking, eh, I should have all eight. None of this should be shared with them but that, it just consumes our thoughts. So we have this tendency to not be quite happy with what we get, and we struggle with contentment. So we work longer hours, and we, it consumes our thoughts. We're thinking about what we're trying to accumulate, and our self-worth becomes measured by our net worth. And if we look around us, and we see somebody else who has something that we don't have, then it robs us of the contentment and joy that God wants us to have. Studies are done all the time, and they constantly show that people just want a little more in order to feel personally fulfilled and satisfied. It's actually pretty consistent along all income levels, even six-figure incomes. They all say that they basically want twice as much as what they're making, just a, a little bit more. Now, Martin Seligman wrote a book on authentic happiness, and he said, as you look at all these case studies, this is kind of a paraphrase, most people would say, If you ask them, they would say that happiness is just a little bit more of something else. Maybe not money, but maybe. You know, more money or more pleasure or more success or more power, more something. Just a little bit more of something. And they would be happy and content. And here's how he concludes his book. He said the gap between more and enough can be never bridged. It's just impossible to get there. So when we understand that everything belongs to God, it it just kind of releases the pressure, it takes that pressure off us. He has given the resources as he sees fit. We should be grateful for what he has blessed us with, and then we should not be lazy, but work hard and be responsible stewards of what he has entrusted to us. The final implication of God owning everything Is that he has the right to direct how his resources are used so we are to be obedient now the master goes off on the trip he has the right to say how much money is to be used he is going to return at some point and he's going to ask how that money has been handled was it used the way that he wanted it used And as we look at the parable, we discover that even though the master isn't there, he still maintains ownership rights, but the servant has the responsibility to do what the master wanted because it all belongs to him, and it was just entrusted to the servants. So that means there's only one question that a responsible steward should ask. How does my master want this money to be managed? And that's it. It's his. It doesn't belong to you or to me. It belongs to him. So it's not a question of how do I want to use it or how do I want to spend it. It's a question of how does my master want this money to be used. It belongs to him. When we study the word of God We see that there are instructions to us about how money is to be used. So we open the word and we study the subject of money, thinking it's ours. And when we do that, we're going to end up being offended. And our defenses will be up. But if we open God's word with the understanding that it all belongs to him, that all the resources are his, then it all makes sense. Because he has the right. He's the owner. In the Bible, God warns about going into debt with money, and we will have to do that for some of the major things such as a home or a car. But the scripture warns about saving some money, anticipating tough times that may come in the future. And the Bible says to keep track of the resources that we've been entrusted with. There's so many people that I do premarital counseling with and they have no clue how much money's coming in or how much is going out. There's no budget. And I know they're just going to get into trouble someday. But God wants us to know what's coming in and what's going out. But the Bible also tells us to enjoy what God has blessed us with. So 1 Timothy 6, verse 17. Command those who are rich with things of this world, not to be proud. Tell them to hope in God, not in their uncertain riches. God richly gives us everything to enjoy. So just like a father giving resources to a child, God wants us to enjoy the resources that he has blessed us with. But the most challenging part of what the Bible teaches when it comes to money is the subject of giving. And now... That's what really makes us uncomfortable. It's when we start hearing about this idea of giving my money away. So I want to make you all feel more comfortable about that. Last night, my wife and I were at our daughter and son-in-law and grandson's place for dinner, and I was in Seth's room. He was showing me the stuff he had picked up in curbside giveaway. And I saw this paper airplane, and I thought, okay, I'm gonna use this in my message tomorrow. and. I started off thinking a $20 bill and then went for two tens because of two services. So I threw the 10 out at the first service and that guy gave it back. So now I'm back to a 20 again. But this is just me giving something that is God's in the first place. If this ends up in your hands, you can take somebody that doesn't know Jesus out for coffee or maybe lunch with $20 but just do something worthwhile with it. I have to avoid you guys on the camera. Oh, it hit it again. You're the closest, Alex. If you read through the Old Testament, you will find that the standard of giving was 10%, and it was called a tithe. And now there are Christians that will look for loopholes. They will say, wait now, that was the Old Testament law, wasn't it? But actually it wasn't. This took place before the laws that were given to Moses. And it goes all the way back to the time of Abraham. And you could actually even go back to the time of Cain and Abel and see this concept of 10% being this standard. So it's been that standard from God almost from the beginning. Yet we live under the New Testament. We live under the grace of God. We live under the forgiveness of Christ. We live under the fact that we have eternal life through him. So 10% seems like a good standard to measure ourselves by. And the challenge here is that when you talk to people about spending money on themselves, they ask a question. How much can I spend and still be okay financially? How big a house can we buy? Or how nice a car can we buy without getting in trouble? But when it comes to giving back to God, the question changes. The question becomes, what's the minimum percentage I can give and still keep God happy with me? When it's on us, it's what's the most. When it's on giving, it's what's the least can I do and still be okay? Here's a startling fact. George Berna did his research and it showed that 8% of evangelical Christians tithe today. And you read all kinds of studies that show if if all the Christians in North America tithe, there would be enough money to provide basic health care and education for all the underprivileged in the world. And there'd still be billions of dollars left over for evangelism. But it's difficult for us and the reason it's so hard is this ownership issue. It's not hard if we understand that it's never ours to begin with, but the difficult thing is thinking that it belongs to you. I grew up in a Christian home where this was part of the teaching. So I'll admit that this isn't very difficult for me and I've been able to teach it to my children as well. But if you didn't grow up this way, what I'm saying here this morning probably sounds ridiculous to you doesn't it and maybe you're even thinking okay I'm doing the math in my head and what he's saying adds up to more than we're going to spend on our vacation this year or it's more than our car payment each month or maybe you're even thinking it's more than our mortgage payment each month each month so you start thinking of all the ways But you're approaching it in the wrong way you're approaching it as if it belongs to you and not to God so can everybody no matter their income give 10% back to God no can people move in that direction yes maybe just by adding a percentage for a while and just growing in the grace of giving as God blesses you in that way but all the while remembering that it all belongs to him So approach this from an ownership perspective, and it will make sense. Otherwise, it's difficult. You'll be putting up defenses when you don't realize that it never belonged to you in the first place. I occasionally give homework, and today is one of those days. And I'm going to ask you to go home and get a sheet of paper. And what I want you to do is write down all your assets, your car, your furniture, your anything else that you've got in the house. And yes, the guys this morning dinged me, I'm going to have to put a hockey card on my list because I have an old one that's actually worth quite a bit of money now. And then if you own your own home, uh, figure out what it's worth and then add another $200,000 because that's what it would probably sell <laughs> for in what's going on today. But just put everything down, all your financial accounts. And then at the bottom, I want you to sign complete ownership over to God. And say this, it's coming up on the screen. God, all this belongs to you. Everything I have is yours. I have no rights to it. You use it however you want to use it. And I will be as faithful a servant as I can be in handling the resources that you've entrusted me with and when you're writing, uh, writing down your list of possessions and assets and accounts would you also write down my family uh, my marriage my career my future you just write my life and say God I'm going to surrender the total control over to you. And it's not 10%. I'm giving you 100%. It all belongs to you, God. I'm letting go and asking you to be in charge.